Hello, and welcome to episode 262 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Christopher Michael of Homebrew Comics and creator of CRIT, C-R-I-T, coming to Kickstarter March 2nd, 2022. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Chris, thanks so much for, for joining us. Let's do what we normally do at the beginning of our interviews. Let's start off with a quick bio in an elevator pitch for this book that's coming soon to Kickstarter. All right, um, so quick bio. My name's Christopher Michael, I'm from North Carolina. I was originally a musician. Uh, I played music for about six years professionally. And a couple years ago, I just decided I wanted to turn my Dungeons and Dragons campaign into a comic book for my friends. And it kind of just grew from something that was supposed to be shared between us into you know, four, four successful Kickstarters. Now we're going on our sixth book and, you know, it's, it's just growing and growing from there. Uh, as far as an elevator pitch of Crit, uh, Crit is a superhero adventure story based on a uh, homebrewed Dungeons and Dragons campaign. If you like tongue-in-cheek humor, lots of uh, pop culture references and over-the-top uh, action sequences, then work for you. Very cool. So this is a novel concept, something that I haven't really encountered before, um, that somebody is taking, and I, I believe you said this earlier in the, maybe the, a little bit of the pre-show interviews, you're, you're recording the sessions, you're the DM, and you're taking that and you're turning that into the comic book. That's correct, right? Yeah. I've been told it is a, a much more, it's a different approach than what other creators are doing or have done i i thought that i kind of came up with the idea to be honest with you because i i really didn't pay attention to a lot of uh pop culture stuff there for a while i was too i had my head down just working for a long time and i started talking to some of my friends who work in comic book shops or know a lot about stuff and i was like oh i'm turning my dungeons and dragons campaign into a comic book and they said kind of like box machina which if you mm -hmm. it just actually got released on Prime, this was a few years ago, uh, Critical Role was on YouTube, they had a big following, and they kind of made a, a small comic book similar to it. The difference is, I think they actually, they physically wrote everything prior to going to the book. Mm -hmm. Theirs was just based on the characters. Ours is 100% organic, so I don't, I don't change how the outcomes are. The only thing that really will change is sometimes the flow of battle because in D&D you can have a lot of the same movements over and over again in combat or there's a lot of redundancy in the game uh, just because there's a lot of rolling to see if things can happen. So I'll record it and I'll take out all the fat that you know could be boring or really just take up too much page space and I kind of refine the edges. Uh, I storyboard it. Then I go to uh, Brad and Terrell, who are characters in my book, respectively. We kind of, they give me some feedback on positioning and, and kind of viewpoints on my sketches. Make some final touches. I draw the book out. It goes to a colorist. While it's at the colorist, we letter the book. So we just turn on the recording again and line for line, pull from the actual game. Sometimes we'll, you know, reword some of the stuff because 
it's, it's at a table and we're eating pizza. Some of us have a, have a drink or two, you know, um, <laughs> refine some of the dialogue. And then we do a final table read with all of us just to make sure that all the dialogue is really caught by or the, the personalities of the characters really come through because these are based on real people. Like the names are, are them. The pitch for the story when I, and I got the guys together was imagine yourself waking up tomorrow with superpowers. What do you do? And they kind of run with it. So I want the characters to really have their personality shine. So even as a reader, uh, you can see the individual personalities and connections that they have and the friendship that they have without it being written. They just kind of make sure, hey, I would say that. Or I've had a few situations where <laughs> they love to argue, I wouldn't say that. And I have to pull out the recording, but you did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and sometimes we'll, we'll fix it because again, we're playing the game and things can be set at the table and play out. And then we realize maybe we should have done things a little bit differently or, and if you've played D and D, you know, as a dungeon master, you'll come up with all these really cool, fun ideas to throw at your team. And all they want to do is beat up the hobo down the street. So <laughs> you put six hours into building something and they ignored everything. So uh, part of my process is also, cleaning up the story to make sure we don't have a bunch of loose ends and unanswered questions because the team just decided to ignore something. So there's that balancing act writing wise, but it is, it's very unique. I I've become friends with a lot of writers that you know aren't artists and I've talked to them about my process and it confuses the crap out of them. <laughs> They're like, well, wait, you do what? I, have to take, I feel like I have to take notes to keep up with this. It's great, though. It's I, I really couldn't do it any other way. Wow. Uh, I, I thought about writing a book, and you know, because I I went through uh, I have a degree in communications, and I have a, ma- a bachelor's degree in visual communication. So I've done a lot of English classes and, and and everything in my life. And I was like, I could write a story, but it's just so much more fun to have everybody come together and take what I think would be a cool story and then screw it up and then make something great. Yeah. It seems to me that like uh, the, when you, as the DM, you're sitting down, um, you know, prior to game night, designing some of the the campaign. And if I'm using any of the, the words wrong, please correct me. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, so that's almost sort of like uh, almost like a, a story outline or like, um, you know, uh, a little bit of like uh, and it, this might not be the best way to, to to describe it. But like back in the day, like, uh, you know, Jack, uh, you know, Stan Lee would go to Jack Kirby and be like, the Fantastic Four are going to fight this monster that wants to eat Earth. And then like, you know. Jack would go and, and draw it and that would turn into an issue of, of Fantastic Four. So like you, you have these concepts um, and then your, you know, your, your collaborators are helping you sort of flush out some of the ideas, some of like that. Um, but does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. Um, they really help me flesh the stuff out, but sometimes they also just ignore what I have to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess is kind of like that same relationship because I'm pretty sure that Jack Kirby ignored a lot too. Um, it's it's very collaborative, 
And I learned early on as, as a DM, if I want to be, if I want to have a successful campaign with them, it's not about what I want the story to be. It's about that, what they want to have fun doing. And I think that's the most important thing is that at the end of the day, we, it's just about my friends having fun. And my job is to bring in the drama and the, uh, I can't think of the word, the, uh, the weight of the situation and the gravity of everything that's going on around them mm-hmm. to make them feel like there's a purpose in continuing the story. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, say in, in traditional comic books, death isn't, you know, final, right? And arguably in Dungeons and Dragons, there's enough spells out there to bring somebody back. But as the way I've always played is people die. And if you don't make the saving rolls, you're dead. Um, and where we're at in the story, we've lost, I think, two integral characters to the story at this point, just because they roll really bad. Mm-hmm. and then we also had a member who had to step away from the game, so we just killed him off. Uh, you know, wrote out, I asked him how he wanted to go. We played it out. He rolled real bad, and he died. And he was like, well, I can't play anymore anyway. So, um, and he's still, you know, he's still social with us. You know, he's still a very good friend of ours, but as adults, you know, life hits, and we have a family and kids and full-time jobs. It's hard to dedicate time to a hobby sometimes. So we respected that and gave him a good farewell. Nice. Uh, so there's, my, my job is to build those situations. And prior to the game, I will look at where we're at in the story and where I want it to go. And I've had the end game in my head written out since about halfway into the campaign when there was enough there was enough reactive how do I put it the world had reacted to them enough to where I had a really good idea to where my main enemy would would go and what he would do and so I started putting the plot points down and kind of creating a breadcrumb trail for them and then they kind of went with it I if I force anything on them they ignore it completely but if I just give them a very little bit and just a little bit they'll run with it and it'll go amazing early on i really tried to i spent six and eight hours sometimes molding this campaign coming up with these really cool intricate backstories for things and nothing would come of it i created it a whole, a whole new world that existed within this world and it was around for one session and they never cared about it again and so I just don't introduce it because I was like, really? I spent six hours building something that was supposed to be awesome for you and you just don't care. <laughs> and they were like, no, we want the coffee truck. <laughs> wow. Um, so, so we really need, and I found, you know, I talked to other dungeon masters and I watched a lot of Critical Role because Matt Mercer, who runs that, is renowned as like the best D&D, you know, dungeon master out there. So I watched some of his shows and some of like his interviews and the way he molded a lot of the story was to react to the players, let the players rule the story. You react to them and just have things in your back pocket of where, you know, you want it to go and find a way to have those reactions, move the story where you want, but don't force it. 
it's got to be a natural occurrence. Cool. So I'm going to check in with Noah. I have a couple of story questions that I want to ask, but I want um, I want to check in with Noah to see if he has anything that he wants to to ask you right now. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I well, I guess like yeah, my question sort of goes to like, how do you decide how long? each issue is like because obviously like you know you play for a certain amount of time how do you how do you break the campaign up into issues so we've been working on the comic since probably the eighth eighth game i would say if not earlier than that um i've been drawing this out for quite a while and so really after the first session uh i i drew some of it out and really started working on that i never i didn't again i didn't expect it to go where it's at but i always had this idea that it would show up on paper so when i was coming at it you know as a comic book reader i knew good starting and stopping points the problem is like you said you know it can run very long um i find good spots in the story where if i were to walk away i'm not gut punching a reader i'm not gun pu- gut punching myself i'm probably my worst critic um that i approach most things as um would this be like my reader walking into the last jedi and if it is then i need to redo it because the last jedi arguably ruined star wars for me and so i try to read it as if i'm that person and if i hate it as much as i hated that movie then i redo the whole entire flow um and that that's pretty much my process as, as long as i don't last jedi this we're good <laughs> uh so when you're in the like when you're doing a campaign do you ever sort of like have like a eureka moment where you're like all right that the thing that just happened that's going to be like a page turn um you know this fight scene is or the, the you know this this role you know these two players rolling right now this is probably going to be a page of a, of a fight scene are you are you having those sort of thoughts and, and moments in your head while you guys are playing you know fight scenes really don't become the page turners for us it's the stupid stuff they do uh, for instance <laughs> uh you know in book five it's called intestinal fortitude because in the game, they had to they have to break into this heavily fortified facility. And I explained to them, it's a heavily fortified facility. What are you going to do? And mind you, you know, a couple of my players have military background. They tactically can come up with ways of, of you know, infiltrating places. In fact, they've done it in real life. So I know they can think that way and i was challenging them to actually do that and their their answer for the situation was to take steal a van run it up to the guard shack as fast as they could jump out and pretend like someone was about to throw up so they could get inside and force themselves in with as much you know uh bs as possible and as i'm trying to role play these guards and how they would react to the situation and you have a whole van of civilians dressed in you know, Comic-Con gear, because they're telling you that they're coming from Comic-Con, and they start spewing out, we ran this guy over, and then this guy, he's high on drugs, and he's about to throw up. 
we need water. Oh, now we need food. And then in the middle of it, they, they start yelling at the guards because they said, you gave us bad food. Um, and the line of the night was, if the cream is sour, do not devour. And he's rolling around on the ground, holding his belly. And he's doing this in real life in the room with us, acting out this character. He's like screaming it out loud. And we're just dying laughing. And I said, that's the book. You know, before we even finished the campaign, we just looked, we said, that's the book right there. That is going to be the hook for the book right there. Um, if we can laugh for 30 minutes or if we can talk about that situation two years after it happened, then that's what we want to be that page turner. And, uh, you know, I stress to them, too, we don't we don't make the book for anybody but us. So as long as we enjoy it. I know other people are going to, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the music industry and I found at a young age, if you try to please everybody else instead of yourself, you're doing a disservice to everyone because what gets you on the map to begin with is usually something that you enjoy before you have an audience, your audience is you, you and your team. And the minute you kind of stray from that is when you lose the real core of it. So when we're playing and we're, we're in this session, it's just about us having fun. And I want to keep it that way. And, you know, the guys, when we first started getting backers on Kickstarter or followers on Instagram, it's like, well, what do we need to do to keep them? I said, just keep making us happy and they're going to like what we do. People want to see us be stupid and have fun. The minute we try to write for them, it doesn't work. And so that's, that's like a, constant creative struggle that we had is like what do the readers want and i have to keep reminding them they want to see us have fun so just get in and have fun very cool that's a another interesting uh take on on, on storytelling um i have a couple of questions about your about um art um if noah's okay with us sort of shifting to, to, to the art discussion here yeah i was looking forward to that yeah so you said that you thumbnail um, and you draw the book. Do you have any formal? I, actually, you said earlier you you have some formal art training. Um, um, so prior to doing the comic book, I I come from a family of artists. Like my father, he uh, he knew Joseph Linsner. As a kid, I watched my dad create masterpieces on napkins, wow. and. Like to this day, my father is still the most phenomenal artist I've ever, ever seen. Um, he, he once spray, uh, airbrushed just on the back of a jacket, the predator's face. And you would think that a graphic design specialist would have scanned the predator face and like printed it on the jacket. But my dad did that. Um, he airbrushed a famous surfer's uh, surfboard once with a woman holding the, a surfboard on a surfboard. And you actually looking at it, you would think it was a picture that was printed on the surfboard. Wow. Uh, he drew a, a Phoenix once when I was a kid in red, red uh, pen on a napkin because he was bored. And before he could throw it away, I'm sitting there trying to like grab it out of the trash. He was like, what? I was, I was just bored waiting for the food to get here. And, you know, I grew up with a man of that level of talent. Uh, I was not blessed with as much talent. I tried but I just, I just wasn't there. I'm sure if I had tried longer as a kid, I could, could do it, but I was more obsessed with music. 
So my style was more just eclectic. And uh, when I started doing the book, my, my wife is also a phenomenal artist and my mother-in-law is an art teacher. So, and I love telling the story because I, I really have no ego and I have, I am very humble about, you know, everything. So I, I drew the first book and I put about three months into learning comic book art, you know, positioning, uh, angles, um, you know, composure of a comic book panel and really uh, anatomy because I had no formal training in anatomy. I just did sketches my whole life. And uh, so I, I go and I spend three months working on this book and I'm very proud of it. And I'm telling my, all my friends how proud I am of this book. And, I, and I, I hand it to my wife one night and I hand her the tablet and I was like, hey, you know, I just finished issue one, it's 18 pages. And she looks at it and I preface, my wife is a phenomenal photographer. She's a phenomenal artist. And she looks at this book and she reads the whole thing. We're laying in bed watching TV. She pauses the TV. When she finishes, she hands it back, doesn't even make eye contact. And she's like, it's okay. And she turns the TV back on. <laughs> that is it. That is all I get. And in my head, I'm like, am I crushed? Now, mind you also, my wife and I were best friends for 11 years before we even dated, let alone get married. So she knows me better than I know myself. I know her. Like, I know. Okay. So she's holding something back. So the next day, I grab the tablet and I start challenging myself. And I was like, you know, what would you do better in this? In this? And she was like, well, his arm wouldn't be that way. His leg wouldn't look like that. If he's jumping, you know, you make it look like his. She was breaking down the entire thing. She was like, it looks like his arm's broken or his leg's going this way. And I was like, but that's comic book art. And I pull up Rob Liefeld. I'm like, you know, look at this. Look at how this, my, you know, like I'm trying to, to show her that, you know, um, anatomy doesn't really matter. And she's like, well, his style is wrong. She goes, you know, but it's his style. So you can choose. Do you want your style to be wrong? Like have the wrong anatomy? Or do you want to be, you know, do you want to be right? She said, it, she's because I showed her years of work and she's like, but his anatomy has been jacked up the entire time, <laughs> you know, and, but that's his style and it works for him. And he got famous off of it. She's like, do you want to try and get famous off something this guy already did? Or do you want to do something right? And so every panel, every page, she would come in behind me and erase things and redraw things. And she would just sketch, you know, she left all the hard work for me. But imagine spending a day on an entire page to have your wife come in and erase half of it and resketch over top of it, and then you have to fix it. And that was the first two, two and a half books. And once I got to my third book, I, I remember the day she came in. We were, um, I was actually working, working sorry, uh, at the end of book three, beginning of book four, I started both books at the same time because they kind of flowed together. And she looks at me and she's like, hey, this is the first group of pages I haven't had to edit. She's like, everything looks good. And I think since then, it's been about almost, almost a year, actually. And she's helped me out on like a handful of pages where I, as an artist, I want to challenge myself. So if I'm comfortable and, I, and I'm getting to the point where she doesn't have to edit anything, I'm going to push myself a little further and then she'll come 
in and say, well, you need to move the foot this way or, you know, his hand, like uh, I was drawing a panel the other night and I showed it to her and I said, hey, I don't think this looks right, but I can't, I can't see it in my head. And so she's like looking at it for a second and she said, well, it looks like his ankle's broken. So maybe we can move the angle this way. And she starts, you know, going in and, and moving some stuff around and then it gets fixed. So I, I attribute a lot of my artistic growth to having a supportive, you know, partner who lets me, <laughs> you know, focus on comic books instead of, you know, spending time with her. And when we get together, it's usually fixing my comic book. <laughs> um, but she's also, she started a photography business and I've always been supportive of everything that she does. And so having her there to support and help me grow has been probably one of the better parts of this because, you know, when, when I started, and I'm not ashamed of this book one, you pick it up. And if you read from the first page of book one to the last page of book one, you see a lot of growth in my, my artistic uh, style because every page she's challenging me. And I, I asked my team after I had finished book three, because I started to really feel comfortable with my style. I said, do you want me to redo that first book? And they said, no, they said, you know, all of us have a character in the book, but you don't. So your character is the art. And they were like, it's really cool because the reader really gets to watch the characters grow. And as the characters grow, the art gets better. So it's like watching a manga. If you watch a lot of like anime and manga, a lot of them start off. Um, and we use One Punch Man because when it started off, the art wasn't that great. But by the end, it was amazing. And that guy refined his art throughout the entire thing. And so that's kind of me, you know, my, my character is the art and it levels up book to book. And that was kind of long-winded, I apologize. It's, but the art to me has been, um, it's been therapeutic in a way because part of the reason why I started the book was I had been working since I was 12 and I found myself without a job for the first time in my entire life. I've worked two and three jobs since I was 12 years old. I've been on my own since I was 13 and I had a family to support and uh, I was given an option of my work wanted to send me to Texas for a year by myself. I would see my family three times in a year and I said I can't do that. I have an eight-year-old little girl you know and eight years old is a very important time in a kid's life. I can't just get up and leave. It's not like they're 20 you know um, or they're it's not like they're one and I can just take off for a year and they're not gonna even notice this is a important time period. And I said, I can't do that. I'll go for like three months and come back and they, it, they wouldn't budge. So we made the decision, you know, for me to leave the job. And as a father, as a husband, I felt like I had failed something. And so my wife looked at me and said, you know, you've been working so hard since you were a kid, take some time and do something you enjoy. And this is what I found that I enjoyed. And, you know, um, I had reached this point where I was depressed, but as we started playing and as I started really creating this, it got me out of that. And now it's given me a passion for something that I didn't even know I would want to do. I haven't, I haven't enjoyed creating something like this since, you know, I, I was signed to a subsidiary of Sony records and I got to be on like work tour and tour with some of my favorite bands in the world. And this is like the equivalent. So, wow. You know, being able to grow in something and meet so many cool people 
and experience so much just virtually has been, you know, it's been life changing. No, that's that that was a that was a lot of stuff to cover and it was all all, all great stuff I, I was just sort of processing it for a second there um yeah. if, if i could um if we could go back to um your wife helping you um you know develop uh your style your style that's you know not the the 90s um sort of liefeld um anatomy was she like erasing like I, I'm assuming because you said it was a tablet. Was she like erasing like digital, like on the tablet and 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 you know, then redrawing it to sort of give you the perspective, the anatomy, and then you were able to take that and and you know develop how you wanted to look. Was it like erasing it digitally, or was it like another way? Uh, yeah. So I I'm a hundred percent digital. Okay. Yeah. I've, my heart has stopped three times in my life. I've actually been clinically pronounced dead three times. Um, and so sometimes my hand will shake. I used to do a lot of traditional artwork as a kid. And even when I first started this, a lot of it was traditional. And I found that when I was doing it, my hand would just shake sometimes. There are days when I really couldn't draw. And so having a digital art is a lot easier uh, <laughs> with erasing and, uh, and that. So when I got the tablet and I started drawing on the tablet, I noticed I could actually clean some of that stuff up easier than on paper. And so I had moved to hundred percent digital. And so what she would do when she first came in, she would just erase it. And then without asking me, and she would just redo everything. And the program I was using didn't have a lot of undo features. So sometimes, I wouldn't be able to go backwards. Now we get, we, I use procreate and we create a whole, we just copy the layer and I, I just, you know, shut one layer off and I let her mess with that one. So in case anything is not to my liking, or if we need to reference my original art, it still exists. Okay. When we first started, she just started erasing everything. And I was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're handling, you know, that aspect of the the art. Um, are you having somebody um, color the book? Yeah. So when I first started the book, I had a friend of mine in book one who was going to do the colors for me. And so again, if you read into book one, the color kind of changes towards the end of it. Halfway into the book, he had twins during COVID. And he's wow. like, hey, I got four kids now. My wife's a nurse and I'm a full-time stay-at-home dad. I don't, I just don't have the time. And he was doing it for free. Um, and he, he actually really helped me learn Procreate because he's a tattoo artist and he used Procreate. So he showed me a lot of tips. Um, and then I kind of got left halfway into a book trying to color. And I realized, hey, I can barely draw and I can't color at the same time. Like, I don't like my color. I, I, it's not something I feel that I'm great at. So I found uh, on the first book, I found a girl to finish out the book for me and she was good, but she was too busy to do the second book. So I found uh, Cristiano Cruz and we just instantly meshed well. And so I decided then that I, I had a choice. I could spend a year getting really good at line work and letting him, you know, cause he was already, he's already a talented colorist. I said, 
I can focus on making my line work better and letting him do what he's great at, or I can kind of be good at line work and kind of be good at coloring and figure them out at the same time. And so I made the conscious decision then to hand over colors to someone else that's, that's, that's a professional colorist, mm-hmm. especially if um, we're going to Kickstarter and we're asking people to invest money into our project. I wanted to make sure that what we were giving them was something I felt proud of, not that they were getting 50% of my talent in line work and 50% of my talent in color work. I wanted to give hundred percent. And I know he brings hundred percent to every page that he does. So that's half the reason we go to Kickstarter is to give him money because he, he doesn't work for free. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. So I'm going to check in with Noah here again. We, we've covered story. We've covered art. I think the next thing I would like to touch on is, is, is crowdfunding. But before we, we leave art, I want to check in with the, with the artist of the, of the podcast if he has any, any art questions here. Um, I, I, I can't really think of any right now, but I guess like you, you said that at, at one point you described your art style being very similar to Rob Liefeld. Where do you think, like, who would you describe yourself as being more like now? Oh, I, I was not, a I, I may have misspoke. I wasn't like Rob Liefeld. I just had, um, I, I really enjoyed his, I really enjoyed his early work. Sorry. My kid just scared me. <laughs> oh, no worries. Sorry. You're going to bed. Okay, sorry. Good night. Love you. Apologize about that. She just popped up out of nowhere. Um, so when I first started, I had just, you know, I had grown up in the 90s. I had met Rob. I had met Todd when I was a kid. And I, I really liked Youngblood when it came out. Um, his early work, you know, seems a little more, had a little more depth than some of his newer work. Um, but, you know, being able to see Captain America in that form, or let's just say pouches on pouches on pouches and muscles <laughs> that don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was cool to me. I still enjoy those 90s comic books where the anatomy is just so um, exaggerated that it, 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 it gives you that um, sense of, uh, how do I put it? Like, it's just unreal. It's super, you know? And I enjoyed it as a kid. But when I started trying to draw it, my friends were, you know, my friends didn't grow up on that stuff. My, the, the core team of this, this book really is more manga, and like anime driven. So they were like, you know, we're not Goku, you know, like uh, they wanted a more realistic look. So I didn't really have a Rob Life of look. I just, I referenced some of his anatomy because it was so extra, like, like extraordinary mm-hmm. that it, you, it gave you this sense of disbelief. Um, I, I wouldn't say I, 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 I would never compare myself. I do think he's a great artist. Uh, he has his own style that he's you know formed over the years and a massive following. But I really don't know who to compare myself to, to, to be quite frank. Um, I don't I don't really compare myself to anyone at all. I always compare my work to my previous work. So I just want to take what I do and continue to grow it. And no one's really given me any feedback and told me, hey, your stuff looks like this. No one's ever said it, so I don't know who I would look like, except uh, myself, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know really what to answer. No one's really asked me that question before. 
and no one's ever given me a, hey, your work looks like this person. Um, I guess that's good. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely good to have, uh, have your, own, your own look. Um, so let's turn our attention to, to crowdfunding. Um, you guys are going to Kickstarter here very soon. You have some experience with with Kickstarter. Um, do you find that uh, the the audience grows each time there's a, a a new book? And like, are you seeing a lot of the same returning names every time you you go to Kickstarter? Um, what are what are your thoughts there? So, um, yeah, with, with the Kickstarters, I see a lot of returning names over and over again, which is good. And I also see a lot of, uh, excuse me, a lot of growth. So I've done a Kickstarter for book one, book two. I did a uh, uh, Indiegogo for book zero and three. And then we just, we had a successful campaign in the middle of last year for book four. The first campaign failed, um, but it was also a success at the same time. So I say it failed because we didn't get funded, but that was because I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. I didn't even have, a, even have a social media page when I launched the Kickstarter. I actually launched the Kickstarter completely by accident because I didn't understand the platform and I had a $1,500 goal. So I quickly made a, an Instagram page, started promoting. I didn't need 1500. I just took the advice of like the people on Kickstarter that I should ask for more than what I needed because printing costs or whatever else. Um, really, I needed about 400 bucks. We had 35 backers with a little bit over, I wanna say 550, 575. And that was without me knowing anything about the platform. How Kickstarter was described to me was, you put your stuff on there and people throw money at it. That is verbatim what was told to me about Kickstarter. And as a complete novice in the field, I just said, oh, that sounds cool. As with anything that sounds too good to be true, of course, it was too good to be true. Um, so when it failed, I was on Facebook one night and a friend of mine who was very independently wealthy, he got into um, he got into marijuana fields when they first took off and now he has his own private jet. And we were talking and he said, hey, so you're, you're doing a comic book now? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just a new venture I'm, I'm getting into. And he's like, well, how much money did you need? And I told him I needed about 500 bucks. And all of a sudden on Facebook Messenger, I get $500 from him. And he said, I know a lot of people, he goes, but everything you do is successful. So I'm, you know, I'm able to do this. I'm just going to help you out. So we fund, you know, I took that money. I paid the colorist and I paid for the books to be printed. And then I contacted everybody on Kickstarter. and I said, hey, you believed in me when I had no idea what I was doing. Here's a free book. I didn't ask for any money. I said, you know, I'm not, it didn't collect because on Kickstarter, if you don't hit your goal, they don't take the money. But I said, you know, as a, as a thank you for believing my project, here's a free book. They all, I sent, I sent books even overseas. Um, but in, in, a, in the thank you, I said, if you could, you know, please shout me out on social media and check out my next book when I launch it. So I looked at all the backers from that campaign that failed when I launched book two, three months later on Kickstarter, it funded in the first day. And a lot of those people actually came back. And a lot of those people are still like, they follow me on social media and I talk to them pretty often. 
Um, and they said they had never backed a book and gotten it for free. And that's kind of what drew them into me and the story was, well, this guy believes in it so much to give it to us for free, then we want to check it out. Um, like I said, book two funded the first day book. And we had, we went from 35 backers on the first one to just about 60 on that. On the Indiegogo, we did just under 100, I think. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, Kickstarter did about 55. Indiegogo did about 70. And then when we did book four, we did 126. And so book five, you know, I want to break 175. It seems like we're, we're that, that's a feasible thing. We already have 60, back, 60 followers on there. Uh, nice. And that, that's it. I just want to continue to grow the story and get people to check out my friends being stupid. And so far, every campaign has done that. I haven't had, I, I call the first one a failure, but it's only a failure if you give up. I learned quite a bit from it and I was able to bounce back. And I'm, I was blessed to have someone in my corner that said, hey, I believe in you. And so, you know, that really set the bar for me when, when I had someone that was able to just help me out. I wanted to pay that forward and, and give that back to everyone that did believe in us. It seems okay. like a paid off. Did you, uh, yeah. did you tell your friend who, you know, had the plane with the marijuana, like, is it, can you spare a little bit more for every campaign? Like that would be, that's who I would just bring in, keep um, bringing in going forward. No. In fact, I, <laughs> I, I talked to him probably about once a month or so. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because him and I used to work like trade shows together and uh, we, we both worked for Verizon at the same time and we met at a trade show. And I thought he was a jerk. Personally, I thought he was very cocky and just off-putting. But for some reason, he liked me. And we actually became friends pretty quick. I figured out that his his way of being a salesperson was just to come off very strong personality, which worked. And then, um, you know, he's started and stopped like two or three different businesses. He's been very successful. And he's, you know, he's fallen down a few times. But real cool guy. And I, I would never ask him you know, we're not struggling, you know? And so, Oh I, no. Yeah. I don't, no. <laughs> I didn't even ask really the first time, but I, I'm not one to really ask for much. So the fact oh, yeah, that, no. that he helped me the first time was amazing. Oh I yeah. Asked him if he ever read the book and this was funny, he goes, Chris, I don't read comic books. He's like, I looked at it. It's cool artwork, but I have no desire to read anything. <laughs> like I just, if I spend time reading that, I could do like 50 other things. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm not being mean. You know, he was, he was very nice about it. He's like, I just, I've never been interested in that stuff. I just support it because it's something you like. And so I thought that was cool because we yeah. worked a, one of our conventions was a, we worked a Comic-Con together and he didn't even, he, he recognized like Spider-Man and Batman. But that was it. He's like, this is not my scene. He's like, I just came to hang out with you. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's a cool guy. I, I wish that everybody had, had a Steve, that's his name. Uh, I think we would see a lot more successful creative people if we if, if everybody said a steve you know we had a steve on our our podcast on our on our recent uh kickstarter um which was uh we were very lucky to have that so yeah i always appreciate those kinds of people who just take a nice big risk on us yeah i've it, it's funny how life works because last fourth of july i actually had the campaign running and for for um my issue four and we, I went, my wife wanted me to go to this 
Fourth uh, of July party with a girl that she knew from our gym. And I was like, you know, that's not my scene. I don't want to go hang out with a bunch of people I don't know. And like on a lake, because I don't really get in water. Um, that, another whole story about that. I drowned as a kid. So I'm not a big fan of getting in the water. And she's like, oh, well, they, they have jet skis and all this other stuff. So I go down and I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of people. And this guy across from me is talking about how he, uh, he has property in Europe and he works for the uh like the royal house he fixes their motorcycles he's like they literally have a, a place for him in the royal palace where he stays and that's how big he is and he owns like two or three of the biggest like like motorcycle repair shops and, and, and sales shops in North Carolina and I'm I'm sitting there I'm like wow this guy's you know like you're sitting around someone who's made it and very successful and he looks over he's like I know you from somewhere and I'm like I have no clue where, and he knew me from my band, and uh, apparently, 15 years ago, we used to hang out all the time. He barely remembers my face. I barely remember his. We remember all the people. We remember all the situations, and we were quoting the same things, but I was like, dude, for the life of me, I don't remember ever partying with you. He goes, I remember this, and anyway, long story short, uh, he goes home that night and puts 400 bucks in my Kickstarter. Wow. Awesome. And I was like, dude, you didn't, that was a hundred dollar tier. He goes, yeah, but you know, you're going to make it. He's like, let me know when the next one is. So, you know, I think, and that's just, that's just, you know, the universe telling me, I guess that I'm doing something right, you know? <laughs> okay. The suspense is killing me. Can, can, can we know what band you were in? Um, yeah. The band's name was my hero is me. We released uh, two albums. Um, if you've heard of like Alisana, they were like the biggest band on the record label when we were, when we were there. I okay. think uh, it was like, you know, metal screamo stuff, you know, early 2000s. Um, the, yeah. Uh, if you look it up, it's on Spotify. Um, it's on, I think, every streaming platform. Cool. I, I just, I just personally, for my, my own, my interest, I was, I was, I wanted to know the, the, the band that you were in. Um, oh, yeah. You can look at my hero is me. That was uh, that was me. That's what I did for about six years. Very cool. Tons of cool bands. Met a lot of awesome people. Learned a lot of things that you should do. A lot of things you really shouldn't do. Um, and I mean, I met my wife because I played in a band. So I think that's a that's a plus. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, let's. I, I think we've we've covered you know the story, the art and crowdfunding um let's let's close up here uh where people should go to to keep up to date with what you're working on and you know we got the elevator pitch i think we you know we have a really good understanding but let's let's talk up to kickstarter one last time as we close out awesome so the this kickstarter is the end of chapter one for the heroes and if there's a good time to step in, it's actually now because you're going to be able to get all six books, either you know single issues, but I'm also doing a trade paperback with all of them. So it's a good it's good for collectors, it's good for readers. However, you like to get your your story, I'm going to put it out there. And in this one, uh, I promise it's not like Lost. We answer questions and we create questions, but we answer more than we create. <laughs> um, and they, they really are taking on a, a, a big challenge in this one. They're fighting. They, 
the whole purpose in this book is to really challenge them to see if they are heroes or they're just a group of vigilantes. And what happens in this book really paves the way for the whole future of the team and our story. So you know, if, if you're a previous reader of Crit, we're very well known for our tongue-in-cheek humor and that's there, but there's also um, some really tough situations that they have to overcome. And for the first time in the series, we get really dark because it's the idea of having superpowers in a world is fun until the wrong people have them. And that's what we're seeing here. So issues zero through five are hitting. Uh, book five is a big issue. It's gonna be close to 50 pages, um, if not more. Right now, I've, I've spaced it right now to be right at 46 pages, but I think we're gonna have to add on to that and make it about 52. Um, the digital del deluxe, uh, the deluxe edition is gonna be a little bit bigger. I'm putting in, I have a hero deluxe and I have a villain deluxe. Whichever one you get, there's going to be additional uh, artwork provided by a lot of uh, awesome people. I did a couple contests and I'm giving those people some space in the book. You're also getting, um, uh, in this one, aside from posters and uh, you know digital, digital stuff, you're getting uh, collector cards are available. We also have the stuffed, uh, if you haven't read the book, one of our characters is a talking uh, alcoholic cat who wears a top hat. <laughs> and we do have stuffed Samedis, his name is Samedi. So we have those as an add-on and we also have the caliber figure coming to this one. So lots of cool stuff, lots of great art. Um, and honestly, you know, we've put everything we can into the closing of this chapter because this was in game, this marked the uh, start of, of uh, the characters really finding, the players really finding themselves in the characters they were playing. So the role playing that happened at the table for this game is probably the best we had had to date and really set the bar for future books and future stories. Nice. And I know that you guys have a, a Facebook page at, um, at Homebrewed Comics. Um, is there any Instagram, Twitter that, that people should follow? So for Facebook and Twitter, it is Homebrewed Comics, spelled C-O-M-I-X, because the comics was already taken by somebody else. There's a, a beer company that does a little Sunday comic. Um, and then on Instagram, it's just at homebrewed comics spelled correctly. And you can also go to homebrewedcomics.com. So those are, you know, my, my main place to, to post is Instagram. That's where you'll find me almost every day. That's where most of my posts are. I haven't found a really good, uh, you know, some people are great at Facebook. Some people are great at Instagram and some people are great at Twitter. I haven't been able to find my, my niche on Facebook and Twitter yet. But we still we still share there. Yeah. I I feel that uh, and and Noah is probably a perfect uh, perfect example of this. I feel people who are more on the artistic side, um, you know, you know, art, visual art, uh, tend to 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 be uh, more in favor of using Instagram uh, as opposed to some of the other social media. I had face I had Facebook for a long time. But I used Instagram a lot more than Facebook even before this. It was just a more comfortable platform. Mm -hmm. um, I only got a Twitter recently to promote Crit because I heard there was a, a different crowd on Twitter 
Yeah. And I will say I've seen, I've actually met, you know, new people on there and found quite a few, you know, cool people on Twitter. So it was the right move to create the account. But nice. I also work two full-time jobs on top of this. We do have, uh, I'm part of a larger publishing group now called the Sapper Sandbox. And we have two distribution contracts there. And I'm so I, and I also letter like every book that's in Savage Sandbox. So I think that's like seven books that I'm in the process of lettering right now on top of drawing our book and trying to manage all of that. So <laughs> having time to post on different social media platforms is very hard. So yeah. it's, it can be, uh, it can be overwhelming sometimes with the, uh, the content on social media. Very cool. Well, Chris, I want to thank you uh, for being on. We are going to put a link to the pre-launch page um, in the show notes because um, at the time of this recording, we're we're at the sort of the mid late part of February, so there's a little bit of time to get more followers on that on that pre-launch page. So we're gonna put that in the show notes, and we're also gonna um, link some of the the social media um, that you you listed out here. Um, I just want to wish you uh, good luck on this campaign. Um, all the stuff looks great. It was a lot of fun um, getting to know you and getting to know um, a little bit more about this book. Yeah, Thanks. definitely. I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been, you know, it's awesome. Cool. So um, as I said, there's going to be a link to Chris's um, pre-launch page for his Kickstarter. In addition, they will there will be a... Um, Kickstarter link for Mossvale, the book Noah and I are helping make um, that is on Kickstarter right now. So there'll be two Kickstarter links um, and links to Chris's and Homebrew Comics's uh, social media. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter. That is at ConstructCompod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, once again, just thanks to everybody for listening. Please be safe. Be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. All right. Um, awesome. 